0: This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. My number one fan, but who is also my number one critic, said to me after last Sunday that they left here with some questions that there was still still some things to be answered. Maybe some confusions had been stirred up. Well, good. It's exactly where we want to be. Because I think that if that happens, then you start to think more about it. You start to deal with the questions. Hopefully you start to dig around. You're anxious to get back and hear more and experience more. This is God's word, this is God's plan we're talking about. This is God's information. This is God's instruction, his counsel. It's designed to uh, make us more effective, more powerful, more mature. And the more we deal with it, the more we toss it around, the more we ask our questions, the more we dig into the confusions, the better off we're going to be. And so we're going to backpedal a little bit. We're going to leave alone. James's instructions about prayer. We're going to leave alone the powerful short prayers that we've mentioned by people like Mary, people like Thomas. We're not going to deal with David's prayers of praise or petition or challenge or whatever it is he's into at the moment. We're just going to backpedal and we're just going to deal with Jesus' uh, instruction on how we should pray for today. He said, when you pray pray like this. And he told us how to do it. Now, before we start diving into that, I think that we need to review two things. Number one is throw out all the rules and regulations. Just do away with all the rules and regulations. The reason for that is because of number two, which is there is no exclusive formula for prayer. So if you're trying to land on the formula, the recipe for how to be effective in your prayer life, forget about it. Because what's going to happen if you do that is you're going to get stuck on something. And when we get stuck on something in our faith walk, we're always going to do that at the expense of something else that he wants to bring our way. It's going to be at the expense of something else that he wants to do in us. Something else he wants to say to us. Something else he wants to show us. We cannot get stuck. We've said before that religious movements, religious structures, religious entities, denominations, etc., etc., etc. It exists today because people got stuck somewhere. They got stuck. And then when we get stuck, we start to manufacture our own version of whatever it is we got stuck on. It's not that in and of itself what we got stuck on is necessarily evil. It's that we then take that, which is part of the truth, and then we start to build on it. We start to, to, to manufacture it and to, to make it into whatever it is. We think it should be, which is always a mistake because that happens at the expense of what God has designed for it to be. So there is no exclusive formula for prayer. Relax. Take it easy. Breathe in and breathe out deeply. It's okay. You need to be free in your prayer you need to experience tremendous liberty as it relates to prayer. You do not need to be tied down or burdened down by any sorts of rules or regulations around your prayer life. If there is any area of your life that I can guarantee you that God Himself wants you to be completely at liberty, it's in your prayer life. You're not going to hurt his feelings. You're not going to offend him because God does not choose offense like we do sometimes. He wants you to feel free when we enter onto the two-way street of prayer. So, the Lord's Prayer, we read it to start with, and just as an example of flexibility, of freedom, of liberty with it all, after I had you say the Lord's Prayer with me, and I sort of started out with the King James uh, language in that first phrase, which is unintentional, but there's nothing wrong with that either. I walked over there and Tracy said, that's not the way I say it. I said, that's great. Awesome. Because that doesn't have to be the way you say it. Uh, you, can, you can say it in whatever way is comfortable for you to say it. You can say it in middle Georgia language. I won't try to do that. But if that's what you're comfortable with, do it. As long as we're not profaning any part of it, as long as we're not altering and adjusting it to where the meaning is changed, as long as it's honest, real, true, genuine, born out of our hearts of submission before the Father, communication with Him, it's okay. It's okay. So we're going to look at six parts, and I'm going to put these up on the, the thing, so that those of you who are diligent on the second Sunday that I've asked you or given you the challenge to take notes can write it down. Maybe some of you putting it in your phones, maybe some of you got a notebook in front of you, maybe some of you just have photographic memories. Either way, you need to know these things. You need to be reminded of these things. You need to visit these things on a very, very regular basis. Number one, acknowledgement of who God is and who we are not. So like I said, no specific formula, no rules or regulations. We come before God and Jesus has in this prayer not instructed us to make sure that we say it exactly like this and we're just repeating. We're just we've memorized it and so we just spout it out. If we do that, it's subject to lose its intensity, it's subject to lose its real heartfelt meaning in our lives. It just becomes it's it's like quoting John 3:16. If we're not careful, the verse is so familiar to us that we just say it without impact. That we just say it without really, without it really digging into our hearts and bringing a reminder, a, a reminder of revelation that God loved us so much that He actually gave His Son to die for us so that we could know Him and experience eternal life with Him. So this is not about repeating it word for word. This is about including the elements. Jesus says, when you pray, you should include these things. And number one on the list is acknowledgement of who God is and of who we are not, this ties in with God's first commandment when He gave Moses the ten rules. What was number one? Number one was, you shall have no other gods before me. How many times do we talk about that in here? How often do we point out that we are living in rebellion if we ever establish and exalt any other god above Him, the one true God? And Jesus turns around and says, when you pray, make sure you acknowledge who's in the number one spot. And it's not you, by the way. This sets the stage for everything else. Just like the first commandment sets the stage for the other commandments and for every rule of life that God's people would live by, this sets the stage for prayer. Because it sets... Everybody who's involved in the prayer in the right seat. Okay? And who's involved in the prayer? Me and Him, but not in that order. So I have to put Him in the right seat. My Father, who is in heaven, holy is Your name. It also sets the stage in terms of will and purpose, which comes later in the prayer. But the stage is set right here that we know and we understand that all of this is about God and what His plan is for me. My Father who is in heaven, your name is holy. My name's not holy. My name was picked out of the blue by my mom because she liked the sound of it. My brother was named after the doctor that delivered him. We, by and large, just picked names that we liked for our kids. JC likes to brag to her siblings, or she used to, and say, Hey, I'm more special than y'all because my name's JC. It's a combination of Jeff and Tracy. It means that they put a lot of thought into it. It means that they looked at me as the one that they wanted to identify, as the one who was really a combination of them and all this kind of stuff. And she used to just hang that over Maddie's head, and one day Maddie just piped up and said, No. I'm not receiving that. I'm just as special as you are. You see, Maddie is a combination of mommy and daddy, so get out of my face. (coughs) My name is not holy. His name is the only name that's holy. Holy. There is nothing you can find in His name no matter which name you pluck out of the Scriptures, whether it's God, whether it's Yahweh, whether it's Jehovah, whether it's El Shaddai, you cannot pick a name of God out of the Scripture and find anything unholy in any variety of that name. It's the only name in heaven or in earth that is completely and absolutely unpolluted and completely holy. Holy. So we start off our prayer by acknowledging who God is, the one holy God who rules over the heavens and the earth, the creator of the universes. And we declare Him to be just that as we enter into prayer. Number two. Submission to what is in the Father's heart toward us And the things about which we are praying. Submission, very key word in the kingdom walk. It's a word that human beings do not readily receive with a lot of excitement because we are a proud bunch of people. We are proud of our abilities, we're proud of our intellect, we're proud of our talents. We're proud of what we are able to achieve. And often we neglect to acknowledge that actually without His breath, without His strength, without the life that's in us which comes from Him, we cannot do a thing. So when we enter into prayer, it's very important to submit to what is in His heart toward us and what is in His heart regarding the things that we're praying about. Okay? That comes in this form. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, in me, through me, just as it's done in heaven. And I have to inform you that God's will, God's kingdom is established perfectly and perpetually in heaven every day. So that prayer really translates into, Father, I want your will, I want your kingdom to be established in me and to flow out of me perfectly every day, just like it is established and flows out of heaven perfectly every day. You see, God has a plan. Anybody in here of the opinion that your plan is better than his plan? Okay, anybody of the opinion that your plan, whatever it might be, uh, has a chance of being more effective both to benefit you and or others in life than his plan? Anybody? I don't think you'd admit it if you do, but here's the tragedy, is that although nobody raises their hand when you ask that question, a lot of us live as if we do believe that. We live as if we believe that our plan can produce more results, can be more effective, can be more beneficial to us and to other people than his plan. We make decisions that indicate that that's what we really believe. Because we don't come... to him and submit ourselves and humble ourselves and say, your kingdom come, your will be done and then get up and live it out as if we really believe it. So if we do say it and we don't live like it, then it's just lip service. There's nothing to it. We might as well keep our mouth shut because what that does is throws us in the category of profaning the name of God by even caught. Call- now listen to this. This is vastly important for a lot of us because we talk about using the Lord's name in vain. And what do we think about when we say that GD, right? Or just throwing God around. Oh my God. And we're not really talking to God. It's just the OMG thing, right? We just throw the name of God around and we really shouldn't do that. And that really is using the Lord's name in vain. But let me tell you how we use the Lord's name in vain a lot that that is more subtle and, and really probably more dangerous is when we come to God in prayer or we're talking about God and we're asking God for stuff, right? And we are declaring that we are submitting ourselves to His will and purpose and we're saying, your kingdom come and your will be done and we're calling on the name of God but then we get up And we live according to our own plan. You know what we've just done? We have used the name of God in vain because just to call his name didn't mean anything. That means it's vanity. Lip service. Not many preachers or teachers are going to tell you just not to pray, but I would, I would advise you that if your method is to pray and call on the name of God and say, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, but then get up and to just live my own way according to my own will, according to my own plan, according to what I want, I would advise you just not to pray at all. Cause you're in a riskier, you're in a riskier spot. By praying like that, but then not living it out is if, than if you didn't pray at all. There are three plans that are available to us. There is God's plan. There is our plan. And there is the enemy's plan. But I will tell you that our plan... And the enemy's plan equates to the same plan. You feel you hearing me? I start to say you feel me, because that's what we hear up in the city all the time. Are you hearing me? Your plan and the devil's plan is the same plan. And so you say, no, the, the devil wants to me to be killed. Well, yes, he does. But your plan is only good enough to kill you. That's why your plan equates to his plan. The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. So that's not what my plan would do to me, is it? Yes, it is. Ultimately, everybody who lives their life according to their own plan will be destroyed. It is only those who live their lives according to God's plan who will be saved. That's in the Bible if you all want to look it up. Submission to God's plan. When we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in my life and through me perfectly as it's done perfectly in heaven every day. What, is, we're say, what we're saying is I am giving my will over to His will. I am following the instruction of Jesus when He says, if any of you wants to gain His life, he must first of all lose it. You see, Apostle Paul is saying that I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. That is true submission to his plan. Number three, awareness that we must have daily provision from God to address the challenges and opportunities of the day. Awareness that we must have daily provision from God to address the challenges and opportunities of the day. We could stay here for a very long time, Give me today my daily bread. Daily bread is so important. It completely, this part of the prayer completely discounts any notion that we just get a once and for all dose of something from God and then we're good to go. There is the absolute Spiritual requirement of daily Bread, in order for us to grow and mature and put on spiritual muscle and become more victorious and become more than conquerors. It is a process that happens day after day after day. It is a long obedience in the same direction. It is getting up every morning and saying, Father, today I know that there are going to be opportunities in front of me. I know there are going to be obstacles in front of me. I know there are going to be Challenges in front of me. I know there are going to be questions I need to answer. I know there are going to be uh, kingdom uh, situations that arise in front of me. And a, a, a regarding all of that, I'm going to need your daily bread. Daily. Everybody say daily. We get all caught up in 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 the big eternal picture, we like to talk about eternity. We like to talk about heaven. We like to talk about all those kinds of big, vast things, most of which are somewhere down the line in the future. And all He wants us to do is to get up every morning and ask for daily bread that is formulated by Him to ensure that we will... Be able to address the opportunities and challenges of the day. Just today. If we'll do that, eternity's gonna be just what it needs to be for us. If we do that, heaven's gonna be our reward. But we'd be much better off and we would find it to be a much more pleasant journey if we would just take it one day at a time. Remember that old song? One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking from you. (laughs) It's, It's as true as it's ever been. It's as right as it's ever been. One day at a time. Some of us really have to break it down even further and say one hour, one minute, At a time. Because I sat with the Lord this morning. I asked Him for daily bread. But right now at 1.30, I'm into a situation. And I really need that bread to show up. So I need to go back again and just whisper, Holy Spirit, give me the bread. I need the bread. I'm about to do something of my own accord. I'm about to exercise my own will. I need your bread. Bread, of course, is symbolic. Symbolic of whatever it is we need to spiritually nourish us, make us strong and and clear minded for the situation we're in. And God is the only one who knows the exact ingredients that need to go into that bread recipe for that day, because tomorrow's bread is likely going to need to be different than today's bread. Today is Sunday. I get to come hang out with you. Things are feeling pretty good. We're in this beautiful room. We've been blessed in so many ways. Right? We're, we've worshiped, and we're still in a mode and attitude of prayer and worship. We're getting to consider God's Word. I'm going to go home and, you know, this afternoon hopefully have something decent to eat, and then I'm going to rest a little bit, and then I'm going to get out in the yard, and I'm going to do things that need to be done. It's going to be a pretty gratifying, pretty fulfilling day, probably. You know what happens on Monday mornings when I get up and head to Atlanta? I'm dealing with traffic on the way up there. I'm dealing with knuckleheads that don't know how to drive. I'm dealing with things immediately when I drive on campus, when security stops me at the gate and says, Hey, over the weekend, we had this, that, and the other, and hands me a stack of reports. I'm dealing with meetings that start at nine o'clock and go all the way through to the early afternoon. And then whatever else has to be dealt with and caught up on that's on the schedule for the day. It's a totally different day and it requires a different bread. That's a pretty cool analogy, right? I'm battling my pride for having come up with that. Just kidding. Number four. So much more to say, but we've got to get through these six. An honest and genuine approach that indicates an unpolluted desire to know God's ways and live in God's will. Got to review that again. An honest and genuine approach that indicates an unpolluted desire to know God's ways and live in God's will. So if we come before God and we have not dealt with what's wrong in us, we have not been honest about who we are right now, we are trying to not be transparent before him. First of all, it's really a waste of time, right? Because is there anybody in the room who thinks that God doesn't know what's going on anyway? I mean, he, he already knows about the, the unforgiveness and the bitterness that's in your heart. No need to try to hide it. He already knows about it. To try to hide it only makes it worse. Because then we become a hypocrite. He already knows about the greed or the lust or the rebellion that shows up in any sort of form. He already knows about it. So to come before Him as if it's not there and just try to ignore it, bury our heads in the sand, and then just go ahead and ask Him to do His work in our lives anyway amounts to rebellion. So when we approach God and we first of all acknowledge who He is and who we're not and then we submit to what's in His heart toward us and whatever the things we're praying for and we do so with an awareness that we must have daily provision of His bread then the next step is to say, Father, forgive me of my sins. And you read read the Scripture and the word as is tricky. Forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who've sinned against me. I think you could remove the as and I'm not trying to adjust, add to, take away from the Scripture. If you go back and look at the original language, you could just as easily take out as and put in the two-word phrase, just like. Forgive me of my sins just like I forgive those who sin against me. Ouch. The same way. To the same extent. No difference in the way you forgive me than the way I forgive other people. Well, we need to know, folks. I mean, it's, it's a reality check is what it is. We need to know that God is not obligated to forgive us to any extent greater than we're willing to forgive the person who's done the most wrong to us. Okay. Can I, can I use a real hot topic, edgy, get some people stirred up example? Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. We are kind of an edgy environment sometimes. When the when United States was attacked on September the 11th by terrorists from the Middle East, it was horrible, it was tragic. It stirred up a lot of emotion. It called for some sort of a response, for sure. But reality, according to what we read in God's Word, is if, if we still harbor... Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do things. I'm not sh- saying we shouldn't take measures to protect and preserve, that we should not make sure that these kinds of things are not easy to happen in our country and in our lives. But if we personally carry around hatred, bitterness, anger, resentment toward the people who committed those acts or the people who are part of the countries they were from or their families, if we have not been able to exercise forgiveness that frees us up, then we're going to have trouble when we go to God Almighty and talk about Him forgiving us. Because the Scripture is really clear, really clear. It's one of those we may not love it, but we can't get around it. Forgive me of my sins just as I forgive those who sin against me. Forgive me of my sins to the same extent that I'm willing to forgive the people who have done wrong to me. And the thing is, it's not just in this spot because if you get a single verse of Scripture, the tendency is to say, well, maybe we're misinterpreting that or maybe that was cultural or maybe that just applied to the time and the people set that He was talking to in that moment. No. Jesus made it very clear in other in other parts of what he had to say, that we have an absolute responsibility as kingdom sons and daughters to forgive our enemies. Does it mean we do life with them? No. Does it mean we move to their country and and try to evangelize them, just believing God that no harm is going to come to us? Not unless God's screaming at you out loud. That's not what we're talking about. Does it mean we have to run up and, and hug necks of people that have done egregious acts toward us that have been very dangerous, very harmful, very hurtful? No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a heart matter. We're talking about a spi- the spirit of the matter. We're talking about whether we have chosen to take bitterness, anger, resentment, hatred and to plant those in our hearts and allow them to become part of who we are. That's not hurting them. That's only hurting us. Most of the time I would say that we carry around unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment toward people the other people don't even know about it. It's not that they don't, just don't care about it. They don't even know that you feel that way. They got over it a long time ago or never even knew that they did something that bothered you. And yet we carry it around like a cancer in our spirits. It's killing us. It's not hurting them at all. Father, forgive me of my sins just like to the same extent that I forgive people who sin against me. When I pray this part of the prayer every morning, I have to do this. I'm going to be honest with you, transparent with you. When I get to the end of saying, just as I forgive those who sin against me, I add on and I say, and I do forgive them. And I never feel like that it's just done. One day the Holy Spirit may speak to me and say, okay, it's done. It's sealed. I know that that's what's in your heart you don't have to say it anymore but right now i feel like that i can, need to continue to perpetually say i do forgive them and honestly there're sometimes when there's certain folks certain situations from the past come to my mind i really don't feel like i have completely forgiven everybody but I'm going to keep saying that I am forgiving them. Because every time I say it, it brings to my mind the requirement that it has to be done in order for my own sins to be forgiven. Number five. Confession that our best idea and our best defense is only good enough to kill us. I've said that many times. I'll say it until I die, because our problem in society, in our lives, in our country, in our world, is that we think too much of ourselves. Our problem is that we have exalted ourselves above the one true God. And that was, remember, the first commandment. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. What I'm saying to God when I pray that prayer is that I know that I neither have the ability in and of myself to discern what the tactics of the enemy are, much less to be able to wage war and win against those tactics. I can't do it. You know, these these conferences and crusades they have where everybody gathers in a stadium and screams at the devil, tells him to get in his place, tells him to whatever and whatever. I guess that's okay as long as what we're really doing is invoking the power of God to defeat evil because we don't have the capacity to defeat evil. I talked about the three plans. Well, let me tell you what is happening in your life that you may or may not know. Most of you are getting up every day and you've committed yourself to a kingdom life. If you haven't, you should start that journey. It's pretty cool. And so God has a plan for you. And God's plan is for you to see glimpses of him, to hear bits and pieces from him that are going to cause you to have a greater understanding of who he is. He's going to reveal to you what his plan is for your life as long as you continue to submit and walk in obedience. But there's another plan. The enemy also has a plan for you. And he's very good at studying and watching and paying attention to you and how you function and how you communicate. And he identifies what your weaknesses are. You don't think the attacks on 9 11 were planned on 9 10, do you? These people, terrorists, are among the most patient people that you would ever meet. They have a mission to accomplish. It doesn't have to be accomplished this minute, as long as it's accomplished. It actually doesn't even have to be accomplished in my lifetime. That's their perspective. If I have to work my whole lifetime planning, strategizing, watching, observing, going through processes to identify the weaknesses in my enemy so that I can then formulate a plan for attack that targets their weaknesses, and if the attack doesn't actually happen until I'm dead and gone, that's okay. Because it's not about me and my immediate desire for fulfillment. It's about accomplishing the mission. That's the way Satan views you and me. He watches patiently, scrutinizes, identifies your weaknesses. Let's see now, what's your weakness? Communication. What's your weakness? That anger that rises up when certain things, you know, the triggers happen and here comes the anger. What's your weakness? A little strain of prejudice that's just never gone away from the way you were raised and all that stuff. What's your weakness? A little bit of, um, a little bit of um, dishonesty when it comes to this thing or that thing. What's your weakness? Is it sexual stuff? some kind of perversion what's your he's always watching identifying what are your weaknesses and then formulates a plan based off of his knowledge of your weaknesses and then comes the attack and you know what you've got no chance by yourself you've got no chance that's why It is so important for us to pray to the Lord that He deliver us from evil. That He not allow us to be put in those situations where our weaknesses are highlighted and the enemy can get a foot in the door and do damage. It's God's work to defeat Satan, not ours. God is the one who will cast him into the lake of fire, not us. We're always trying to do God's job. What a presumptuous and arrogant thing to do. And it takes off so much pressure and creates such an environment of liberty in the kingdom when we step back and say, God, just do your job. (laughs) Do what you do because I'm tired of trying to do what you do. It just doesn't work. Number six, we finish how we started, which is to remind ourselves of who God is and who we're not. What a beautiful, beautiful model for prayer. Remember, it's not an exclusive formula, but it is a model. It is a prayer that shows us the ingredients that will always lead to an effective prayer life. Because if we start off by acknowledging who God is and who we're not, and then we pray the prayer with the ingredients that He's given to us, that we submit to what's in His heart toward us and toward our situations, that we make sure we're aware that we must have daily provision of His bread, That we have an honest and genuine approach that indicates unpolluted desire to know Him, to live in His will, to know His ways by asking for His forgiveness perpetually. That we confess that our best ideas and our best defenses are only going to result in our death. And then we finish up the same way we started, by acknowledging who He is and who we're not by saying, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever. And then we pronounce, amen, or so be it, on the end of it. Hmm. This model can be the start of a really, really powerful, effective prayer life if you don't have one started already. If you do have one started, we need to always keep this at the very top of the list. Um, It's Jesus who gave us this. Messiah. Son of God. Every word He spoke was a Word of God. Remember when he was in the wilderness, been fasting 40 days, 40 nights, Satan comes to him and says, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Feed yourself, you're hungry. That's a, we, we, I spoke on that a while back and certainly it fits in here. It's a perfect illustration of, of how we handle temptation, how we handle strategies of the enemy, how we discern what the enemy is doing, how we respond to the enemy's tactics. When Jesus looks at him and says, this ain't about my plan. This is not about me satisfying some sort of external need. This is not about proving a point. This is about remaining true to the mission. Remaining true to the words of God. Remaining true to why the Father sent me here. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the words that come out of the mouth of God. And Jesus never spoke a word that wasn't a God word. It is Jesus who is giving us this prayer. So I think it's worthy of our attention, don't you? I think that if we're going to consider the subject of prayer at all, ever, this has to be included. That's why, you know, last week we sort of did an introductory overview of prayer. And now we've backed up to deal with number one. What did Jesus have to say about prayer? Finally, I will finish where I started by saying this is not the only way to pray. This is not the only format for prayer. This is not an exclusive formula for prayer. No. It is a model which gives us important elements for our prayer lives. If this was the only way to pray, then why didn't Jesus pray like this every time? Valid question, right? Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and it wasn't this prayer. Jesus prayed a prayer in John chapter 17, which was a prayer for his followers who would live in the days after he was gone. And it wasn't this prayer. But if you go back and examine any prayer that Jesus prayed, you're going to find that the powerful elements that he teaches us are there, with the exception of him praying for forgiveness of sins because he had no sins. But he did pray that God's will, God's purpose, that God's kingdom would come. He did pray that he would receive the sustenance, the provision, the daily bread that he would need to face the things that were ahead of him. Amen. Amen. Pray, pray, pray. And when you pray, pray like this, he says. Include these elements. Include these ingredients. And your prayer life inevitably will be powerful and effective, which again is over in James chapter 5, which we're going to get to. Powerful, effective prayer of a righteous person produces God results. Father, thank you for the two-way street of prayer that we all have the opportunity to travel. Thank you. We can know you. We can believe in you, but we can also talk to you. We can also cry out to you. We can also verbalize our worship. We can verbalize our pain. And when we just don't even know what to say, Your Holy Spirit is there to moan and groan on our behalf, and that's powerful prayer. Thank You for everything that's involved. Every opportunity that's there for us in our lives of prayer. And we pray now. As we acknowledge You, as we make sure You, Have no other gods before you in our lives. We ask for your kingdom to come this week, your will to be done in us and through us perfectly, as it's done perfectly in heaven every day. We ask that you would give us our daily bread, that each morning as we rise and ask for it, and minute by minute throughout the day as we find the need to ask for it again, that it would show up in perfect provision. We ask that you would forgive us of our sins just like we forgive those who sin against us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be the one who protects us from temptation and who prevents us from being trapped by the schemes of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.